Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy, on the other end. Welcome back, Darcy, after hey, what's a up? special guest episode with my mom last week. Yeah. She just happened to have been in town, and she's not really a murder slash true crime junkie the way we are, mm-hmm. um, but I thought it might be kind of fun to have her weigh in on the fraud case that we talked about last week. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Lots of twists and turns, and people have definitely commented on it on social media quite a bit, so it was fun to kind of dissect that with her and see the shock on her face. Because she, she comes from a, a very small town, yeah, and she lives in a small town now, so like it was just wild to see her hear the story and just kind of be shocked by it. But yeah, today we're going to talk about an interesting case. This is actually the case about the murders of Allison Parker and Adam Ward. Okay. I know you're going to recognize it as soon as I start talking about it. Okay. But um, let's start with the victims. Allison Bailey Parker was born August 19th, 1991. She grew up in Martinsville, Virginia, and went to Patrick Henry Community College and also James Madison University. Is this the journalist? Yeah. Okay. She did an internship at WDBJ in 2012 and also worked on general assignment as a news reporter at an ABC affiliate in North Carolina from December 2012 until May 2014. At that point, she was then hired on by WB. WDBJ in 2014 as a correspondent for their morning show. Adam Lanning Ward was born May 10th, 1988, and he was also born in the Virginia area. He was born in Daleville, grew up in Salem, and then went to Virginia Tech, where he got a degree in communications and media studies. He graduated in 2011 from that and started working at the station in July 2011 as a videographer. He also did occasional sports reporting. And then there was a third victim in all this whose name was Vicki Gardner. And she was originally from Union Springs, New York, and has been the executive director of the Smith Mountain Lake Regional Chamber of Commerce. She had been doing that since 2002. So... Let's skip ahead just a little bit here. It is August 26th, 2015, and it's early in the morning. It's about 6.46 a.m. And Allison Parker and Adam Ward are conducting a live interview. They are talking with Vicki Gardner at Monita's Bridgewater Plaza about upcoming events. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of chatting about the 50th anniversary of Smith Mountain Lake. Smith Mountain Lake is about 26 miles southeast of Roanoke, Virginia. So, again, it's really early in the morning, and they're in the middle of this segment where they're interviewing this woman, and it's supposed to be broadcast on the WDBJ's morning news program. And Allison is just conducting the video, not really seeing that there's anything wrong going on, but then all of a sudden she hears eight gunshots. And then there's a lot of screaming. Ward drops his camera to the ground, and that camera captures the image of someone holding a Glock 19 9mm pistol. Immediately, 
WDBJ switches back to morning news anchor Kimberly McBroom. And she's at the station. She looks super confused about mm-hmm. what's going on. And she actually thinks that there is a car backfiring. Because it's a live stream. It was a live stream. Yeah. Okay. So Parker and Ward pass away at the scene of the shooting. Gardner, the woman they were interviewing, survives following surgery at the Carillion Roanoke Memorial Hospital. Allison Parker had gunshot wounds to her head and chest, and Adam Ward died from shots to his head and torso. So you know these are some very serious, up-close shots Mm -hmm. to be able to do that kind of damage. Gardner was also shot in the back after she curled up into a fetal position. She was trying to play dead in hopes Mm. that this shooter would, you know, move on or take off, right? Mm -hmm. Fifteen shots total were fired that August morning. So staff at the WDBJ newsroom quickly looked the footage over and tried to identify who might be the likely gunman. They notice the man who is the shooter immediately. And they pass this information on to the Franklin County Sheriff. Let's talk a little bit about the shooter. Vester Lee Flanagan was this man's name. And he was born October 8th, 1973 in Oakland, California. He was known professionally by the name Bryce Williams. Mm-hmm. And had grown up in the Oakland California area. He went to Skyline High School and San Francisco State University and earned a degree in radio and television in the year 1995. He also did an internship at the CBS affiliate in San Francisco in about 1993. He eventually worked there as a production assistant and then a weekend news writer. So Evidently, he, at the time, had been kind of pursuing some small-time acting and modeling before he kind of broke into the field of journalism. Okay. But he did work as a general assignment news reporter at CBS, WTOC-TV in Savannah, Georgia, which is where my sister-in-law is from. It's a really cute little small Mm -hmm. southern town. He did that from about February 1997 to March 1999. Between... March 1999 and March 2000, he worked then as a reporter for the NBC affiliate in Tallahassee, Florida at WTWC-TV. Okay. He reported to the news director, Don Schaefer, and said that co-workers were making offensive comments about his sexual orientation. That's kind of when we first start to sense that there's something going on And this is 2000? Yeah. Okay. And he was a gay man, and so... He believed that the, the co-workers were making these comments, these derogatory comments about him because he was a gay man. Mm-hmm. And he reported this to his news director. There's also some kind of conflicting reports at that time that Flanagan verbally abused two female staffers at the station on different occasions after they pointed out some mistakes that he had made while he was reporting. Okay. There were also reports that various individuals that he worked with tried to get out of working with him because they said that he was a quote-unquote diva. Hmm. Flanagan was then fired in March 2000. 
he immediately filed a civil lawsuit against WTWC saying that he had been racially discriminated against. Mm-hmm. He was a black man. There could have been merit to it, but then at the same time, a lot of large companies will settle out of court so they don't have to have the ex- time and expense of an actual trial. But sure. I think given the history of this country as far as racial discrimination, there could have been some notes of truth to certain parts of it. There could have. So I'm, right. I'm trying to keep an open mind with respect to that. But the lawsuit was actually settled in January 2001. WTWC's owner, Sinclair Broadcast Group, discontinued the news station operation in November 2000. They had very poor ratings and budget reductions, and so I think they kind of tanked after that whole thing went down. I don't understand what that means. Like, there's just not a local CBS affiliate or whatever? Not in that particular little area. I didn't know that could happen. They probably just sort of decided they were going to spend their time and energy on larger news stations instead of a smaller town Oh, I see. So, like, they would still... Like, the area would still be able to watch the news. It would just be from, like, a bigger city. Yeah. Uh, so let's say, like, there there was an Escondido news and there was a San Diego news, mm-hmm. and they get rid of the Escondido one, and they still have the San Diego one. So it's just they cover the larger area. Puts a little bit more responsibility on the other news station. But at the same time, when you close the smaller one down, a lot of times you lose the smaller news stories yeah. and the, the small-town community reporting. Gotcha. And that's what happened in this instance. Okay. Flanagan then went on to work for the CBS affiliate WNCT in Greenville, North Carolina from about 2000 to 2004 and also worked as an ABC affiliate KMID in Midland, Texas. So he kind of stayed in the South. Those are very different places, though. Yeah. um, But he did um, continue to work within the news. Okay. Okay. So fast forward to... Uh, April 19, 2012, WDBJ announces that they hired Flanagan, and he's going to be their multimedia journalist under the professional name Bryce Williams. So he gives himself a little bit of a branding, a rebranding. Okay, so right? he had been going by the Flanagan, his birthday. Vester Flanagan, right? Up until this point. Up until about April 2012, when okay. he decides that he's going to rebrand himself as Bryce Williams. I get it. I think Bryce Williams is a much uh, more kind of mainstream type of a name than Vester Flanagan. Vester Flanagan sounds kind of scary. But anyway, he becomes Bryce Williams. Yeah. And documents at the time suggest that they considered him an experienced reporter. And they were really excited about bringing him on because he'd been in the news field for like 10 years. So he should have been like gung-ho, ready to go. Um bring the station to the next level, Mm -hmm. right? But there were conflicts that followed him again. He was having issues with other reporters and with photographers. So he couldn't kind of stay away from that scandal for Mm -hmm. very long. So he's generally, like, not the easiest person to work with. No. He's very difficult to work with, according to reporters and documents at the time. The news director, Dan Dennison said that he then ordered Flanagan to contact the health advocate in July 2012 because he'd had a bunch of complaints from co-workers who said they felt threatened and uncomfortable Mm. working with him. So no one's really clear as to whether he actually did contact the health advocate, 
but WDBJ dismissed him, fired him on February 1st, 2013, saying that he was volatile. Okay. So former colleagues said that he lashed out at newsroom staffers, resulting in staffers being put into a room while police escorted him out of the building Whoa. after he was terminated. So then Ward said, Ward is the, the, um, the, the cameraman. Cameraman, yeah. He supposedly recorded Flanagan as he was escorted out of the building. And then the two men allegedly had a confrontation earlier that day. Oh. Flanagan supposedly threw a wooden cross at Dennison, who was the, the news director, saying, you need this. Mm. So everyone at the station then was directed to call the police if he ever returned. Right. In return, though, Flanagan turned around and filed a complaint with the Equal Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, uh-huh. against WDBJ. He alleged racial discrimination and also named Parker as one of the people, Allison Parker, the reporter, saying that she was one of the people responsible for the discrimination against him. Oh, okay. However, the EEOC investigated it and then dismissed the complaint, said there was nothing to back up his story. Okay. Flanagan allegedly wrote a suicide note in which he said he'd killed both of his cats out of rage after the incident. Whoa. Which, what the heck? That's very disturbing. I don't know why that's so disturbing, but, like, it's really disturbing. It just, it's on a whole nother level. Yeah. So, supposedly he got a job at a local United Health Group call center after he got fired from the news station. Uh Presumably he's trying to, you know, cut his losses, make some money, do something to keep himself afloat. But evidently he had a confrontation with a female employee. She supposedly pointed out how quiet he was. And he responded really aggressively, telling her, don't talk to him ever again. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, And then there were people in his apartment complex that said he was a very arrogant and rude person, acting very strangely and abrupt and aggressively towards people around him. He was also known to throw cat feces at the homes of neighbors that he had disputes with. Oh, my God. Okay, so this guy is just not... He's not the most pleasant person. Right? And... I mean, there could be reasons behind some of what happened to him, but he just sounds like he's really, really upset. And so it it would have to be something pretty major. Yeah, like there's that personality type that's like the grievance collector, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yes, there are things that where they have been wronged, but but there's a certain personality type that really, really holds on to it and Mm -hmm. keeps track of it and keeps like a tally and remembers every slight against them and takes it as a personal offense even if it's like oh I didn't hold the door open for you one time because I just wasn't like thinking yeah like I didn't look behind me but like to somebody else like the way they interpret that is like it's a personal I slammed the door in their face kind of a thing and that's yeah yeah I've well I mean and I I, I don't understand but I can kind of see that you know if you're suffering from years of racial discrimination or discrimination because of sexual orientation I could see that that could get to the point where you might just have an issue that you cannot get over sure I can understand that part but I just don't feel that violence is the answer but in any case Flanagan had Facebook and Twitter accounts and he used them quite frequently Mm -hmm. he also repeatedly claimed racial discrimination 
on both of his Facebook and Twitter profiles against WB, WDBJ. Okay. He specifically named Parker and Ward as the people that had racially discriminated against him. Okay. And also claimed that Allison Parker made racist remarks during her internship at WDBJ. Hmm. It was not necessarily against Flanagan, but against a friend of his. Okay. He also said that Ward had filed a complaint against him to the station's human resources department after he worked with him on one occasion. Okay. So at 11 o'clock in the morning on the day of the shooting, Flanagan uploaded a 56-second phone camera video to his Twitter and Facebook accounts. They were immediately suspended. Mm-hmm. Evidently, it was footage from a first-person perspective of the incident showing him walking up to the scene of the interview and kind of waving the gun around for about mm-hmm. 15 seconds. Ward, Parker, and Gardner, none of them noticed this as he's kind of sneaking up and filming himself with this gun while they're, they're doing this interview. Mm-hmm. Gardner, who was, I think, more directly facing this man, said she had been blinded by the lighting, so she couldn't see him oh. walking up. Right. Right. Flanagan then says, B-I-T-C-H, while pointing the gun at Parker. He lowers it, raises it again, and then opens fire directly at this woman Allison Parker flinches and then she screams and she tries to escape and that's when the light of the camera is seen dropping before Flanagan pulls the camera away and shuts it off so not only is it kind of filmed a little bit on the live camera that Mm -hmm. Ward was holding but Flanagan filmed it himself on his phone right ABC News receives a 23 page fax at about 8.26 a.m. Supposedly Flanagan sent this fax, and it was titled Suicide Note for Friends and Family. In this 23-page document, kind of like his manifesto, mm-hmm. right, he, like, spells out all the grievances that he had, all the racial discrimination and the sexual harassment by black men and white women in his workplace. He says he was targeted because he was a homosexual black man. Mm-hmm. He also claimed that the Charleston church shooting two months before his shooting kind of triggered him. How? Particularly the comments about Dylan Roof, the perpetrator of that crime. He says that the church shooting was a tipping point and his anger had been building steadily up until that point. He saw himself as a, quote, human powder keg just waiting to go boom. The sheriff's office in the Franklin County area said that Flanagan very closely identified with individuals who have committed domestic acts of violence and mass murder, as well as the September 11th, 2001 attacks on the U.S. Mm. He also claimed that Jehovah had told him to act and expressed an admiration for Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, the two men who perpetuated the Columbine High School massacre, Yeah, as well as perpetrator of the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting. He said, quote, yeah, I'm all effed up in the head, unquote. So he'd faxed, as I mentioned earlier, Flanagan faxed the news station with that confession letter mm-hmm. and then telephoned them a little after 10 a.m. making a confession. So this happened the, around the like station. 6.45 a.m.-ish, yes. before 7, and then he's like on the run between now yes. and, okay. So they track his cell phone to try to locate him. And he's, at first, and he's, first he's in his own car, mm-hmm. 
and he abandons, he had a Ford Mustang, at the, he abandons his car at the Roanoke Blacksburg Regional Airport and drives a rented Chevrolet Sonic. Okay. He heads north on I-81 and then east on I-66. Okay. There's an automated license plate reader, um, and it catches the license plate of this car, and a Virginia state trooper sees that it's a rented Sonic, and he sees this car at around 11.20 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's when the point they realized he had, he wasn't in his own car, and they kind of put the two and two together. Mm-hmm. The trooper realizes this is Vester Flanagan and calls for backup. Okay. He initially tries to stop Flanagan, but Flanagan speeds away. Right. His car runs off the side of the road and strikes an embankment near Markham. It's, it was about two miles of pursuit that this guy Whoa. is chasing Flanagan. And then Flanagan is found inside the car with gunshot wounds. Self-inflicted. Wounds? Multiple? Yes. yes. Whoa. He was airlifted to the Innova Fairfax Hospital in Falls Church where he was declared dead at 1.26 p.m. So for the, the simple fact that he has multiple gunshot wounds, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Usually one is all it takes. So after he died, officers searched his rental car and they found the Glock pistol with several magazines, ammunition, cell phones, letters, and a to-do list. There was also a suitcase containing three license plates and several disguises, including a wig. So So he was not planning to die by suicide. No. I mean, it sounds as though he had very thoroughly planned this and he had plans to kind of run away. Right. Kind of go on the run. Because he had wigs and stuff. Right. Although, I'm not sure if the wigs and stuff were necessarily tools that he intended to use to kind of sneak up on these people that he feel had wronged him, or maybe to shoot other people. Yeah, that's true. It could have just been a disguise to and since more he's violence. gone now, like, yeah. it's not like they can question him. Yeah. And so, at the time this happened, the president was Barack Obama, and he kind of addressed the murders... And also the Virginia governor, Terry McGough, they also said that they were heartbroken over the shooting, and a lot of people weighed in on it. Um, The governor of Virginia kind of made a call for tougher gun laws and blamed the Virginia General Assembly for failing to kind of deal with gun control measures that were necessary, he thought. Mm -hmm. So this case drew a lot of national attention because a lot of this was broadcast live before they had the opportunity to cut it. Yeah. And the video, his cell phone video. I watched the video. You don't, you can't really see. I mean, it's like eight w- seconds. Well, are you watching this whole his cell phone on. video or the camera? No, did I watched the camera. Okay. His cell phone video was out there for a while too. For, I mean, not like, I don't know. You could probably, it's probably cached somewhere, but like the day of it was out there before Facebook and Twitter were both able to completely take a deck. I've got a follow up on that that I'm going to do after we finish up wrapping up this, but um, Allison's father, Andy, kind of became an advocate for gun violence prevention. And he went on to speak to a lot of people and, and push for tougher gun laws. And he actually ran for office at one point and just, I think he was very, very concerned that the video of his daughter's shooting was out there online. And a lot of people were clicking on it and watching it. Mm -hmm. So her boyfriend as well ran for a seat in the House of Delegates 
with a priority to pass gun control legislation. Because she was engaged, is that right? She was. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know that she was engaged. I think they were planning on getting married. They say that he was her boyfriend. So I don't know that they had gotten engaged yet. Gotcha. In the immediate aftermath of all this, various media productions were either delayed or pulled from television outlets. And there were a lot of different things that were postponed because of that. Like Mr. Robot had a murder show that they were going to talk about, and they Mm. kind of put a pause on that. And there were a bunch of other different things that were either pulled or paused or just never aired after Mm -hmm. that because of the gun violence. There was also some um, some criticism of Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Because of the ability to post something like that on those yeah. different social media platforms. To just go live without is, any kind of... Exactly. Yeah. Regulation um, or anything. So, Allison Parker's father turned the video of her 2015 death into an NFT to get it pulled from the internet. That was smart. Yeah, this was his plan um, to kind of get this because a lot of people were clicking on it. And this article just came out last month. Yeah. But evidently, he turned the, t- the video of her 2015 shooting into this, according to the Washington Post. He hoped that doing so would allow him to claim ownership of the clip to get it taken down. Yeah. But Harvard Law School professor Dr. Rebecca Tushnet said there's about zero oh. chance that this strategy is going to work. Oh. So Allison Parker obviously was the television reporter who was shot and killed by her former colleague. And this was a Hail Mary. Yeah according to Parker and some of the other people that were involved in this, it was an act of desperation because he just wanted this to get taken down. It was just traumatizing a lot of people over and over and over again. Her father tried for years to remove the 17-second clip from online platforms, according to the Washington Post, but clips still remained on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And they were actually viewed viewed millions of times. Is that not insane? Yeah. Initially, in 2012, her father filed a complaint to the Federal Trade Commission saying that Google broke some of its own rules by not removing clips of the shooting. Mm. He basically claimed that Google was monetizing his daughter's murder. Yeah. And he was saying that because it's not in their interest to take it down, they won't. Right, because they continue to get clicks, which then, you know, gives ad sales, like pushes ad sales. and Yeah, which he, he has a point. They're still making money. Parker doesn't own the footage of the incident, which was broadcast live on WDBJ, the Roanoke, Virginia, CBS affiliate television station where Allison worked. So that was the one video was posted live on that. Mm -hmm. It's owned by WDBJ's parent company, Gray Television, and they refused to turn over copyright control to Parker, which I don't understand why they would refuse that. I don't know. Maybe like their attorney told them not to or something because it might be... A liability. I don't, yeah, I don't know. In a statement emailed to Insider Magazine, Parker said Gray Television's denial of co-copyright, which he says would help him fight Facebook and Google, was unexplained and reprehensible. The chief legal officer for Gray Mm -hmm. Television then told the Washington Post the footage did not show Allison's murder because the video does not show the assailant or the shootings during the horrific incident. So the one that actually was filmed by Ward, you can't really see anything in that video. You can hear the sound of gunshots and you can hear screams, but you can't really see anything else. Mm -hmm. I think at one point I did watch the video of Vester Flanagan's side of it, and it was just super creepy. The other thing, maybe like, 
it's probably like they're probably not even paying attention to how like insensitive it is but they probably don't want to give up their intellectual property on that video too you know what i mean no yeah that's right um but allison's parker allison parker's father tried to turn it into an nft Mm -hmm. or a non-fungible token so he could claim ownership of it and use it to sue social media companies to compel them to review to remove the videos i get it it seems like you know it in like technical terms it would be a smart thing to do but legal experts say there's zero chance that this is because he doesn't own it to begin with they see no path forward through nfts for this person who suffered an unspeakable tragedy i don't know who encouraged this but it's not going to give him what he wants say the experts mm-hmm. while Tushnet said she's not familiar with the specific situation she said an NFT can, can't create ownership where there is none and that while Parker's yeah. NFT may represent a particular copy of the footage it doesn't change the ownership status of other copies or the copyright oh because there's already so many out yeah. there this is a strategy that has no precedent so it's interesting I get why he would try to do that. I mean... Yeah, it's a good idea. I don't think it could have hurt him at that point. Because he's pretty much trying anything he can to get that footage removed. But it's just super creepy. Yeah. But clearly this man, this Vester Flanagan, had had... And I looked up pictures of him. He was a good-looking guy. (laughs) Like, at one point when he was doing modeling and when he was actually first doing journalism. I don't know what happened to him. It's really, really bizarre because I went and watched some early clips of him. He wasn't bad. Well, he had, didn't he have some considerable mental health issues? I don't know. There wasn't a lot of information out there, but it sounds as though that had to have been the case. I just can't see why a normal man who was actually good at what he did would suddenly have that break from reality. Yeah, I don't think... I'm like I'm trying to kind of remember what I read about at, when this all happened because I was in Louisville. Um, like I don't think that there was a flip that was just switched and all of a sudden this happened. Like this was built. Like this was who he was for like his adult life. Like he was. Yeah. Everybody was like wronged him and he was always the victim and um, there was like a pattern building. But like I, the thing about Dylan Roof doesn't make any sense to me. But no, it's just wild. But also, like, there are, like, actual multiple research papers, like, theses and dissertations about the influence of um, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. That, that part just seems so random. Like, they were bullied, but, like, that's not a, that wasn't a racial issue. So the real story, it actually is a racial issue. Eric Harris had some really racist writings in his journal but the the mass media story of columbine is completely different from what actually happened but it's less about yeah. it's less about the the motive of why they did it and more about the fact that people see it as the bullied victims finally get their revenge and a lot of yeah people that have that this sense this grievance collector mindset look up to that um yeah but that's, I mean, that has nothing to, absolutely nothing to do with the real story about Columbine. Um, yeah. But, I mean, but it has inspired, unfortunately, many, many, many mass shooting events. Copycats. And part of that, too, I think, is the coverage that Columbine got. I mean, it was, like, that was live streamed. Yeah. 
um, that's wild on CNN, like in the early days of 24 hour news. And it's a story that, you know, we'll, we'll cover eventually. I yeah. It's on, on my list. I mean, I've written research papers about it. I've studied it pretty extensively, but like, yeah, I mean, it, and part of that too is like, like I said, like the public, the coverage of it, which is why, you know, the Michigan school shooter, they just got that decision to, um, not use his name in the court, in the trial for the parents which is great because you're making these people famous. Yeah. And that's what they want. Exactly. I think there were multiple, multiple lawsuits filed in this case yeah. as well. There were complaints filed with the Federal Trade Commission um, regarding YouTube. Mm, which is owned by Google. Also posting the videos. Yeah. Um, there was a complaint with the FTC about Facebook. Um, and then there was a lawsuit by mm -hmm. Vicki Gardner. She filed a $6 million civil suit against WDBJ for being negligent mm -hmm. in hiring mm -hmm. Bester Lee Flanagan, who wounded her and killed Allison and Adam. Um, but the court in that case dismissed the case in mm -hmm. June 2020. After the murders, the uh, community colleges and the different areas that the two attended school created memorial scholarships for them. And... I think that's yeah. just about it. It's a, it's a really, I think, sad case because it just seems like a tragedy all the way around. Yeah. You got two, you know, a cameraman and a reporter, uh, you know, and a completely innocent bystander who had nothing to do with anything. Well, and who's to say that Allison Parker or Adam Ward had anything to do with anything? You know what I mean? Like, that's just yeah. his... It's just an alleged complaint right. by him. And he did file the complaints and they did an investigation and they claimed that it was uncorroborated. Right. So like there was no merit to any of the complaints. So they didn't move forward it with, with them. Right. But uh, clearly there was a lot of issues with Vester Flanagan. Yeah. And this was like, this was, I mean, it feels like around this time there was a lot of live streaming of shootings. Yeah. That was just bonkers. I feel like this was like a period of like, no regulation like it's not that it's well regulated now because there's you know the the other day there was that poor accident and at the florida theme park but oh my god and there's video of that oh, but like horrific. it's not like as well regulated but there's more awareness now and there's more pushback on just like the everyday people saying like don't share this don't yeah. watch it i can understand um, i think there was that, that incident getting a, an attorney but they hired a civil rights attorney they did i don't understand why that would be a civil he's rights also a issue. personal injury lawyer they just made it sound like it was a civil rights issue. And it's like, this is a negligent theme park. That could have happened right. to any child. It shouldn't be a civil rights issue. Right. He's, yeah, he's also a personal injury attorney, but he's known for being hired as a civil rights um, lawyer. But, yeah, th it's... That ride needs to be shut down forever. You, if you, I mean, honestly, just like this is a little bit off topic, but if you guys ever look into, like, the regulation of theme parks, you'll never want to go to another theme park ever again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested in theme parks. I don't like those crazy rides. I want nothing to do with them. And I love a roller coaster. But that wasn't a roller coaster. It was like a drop ride. It was a ride. free fall drop, yeah. And they didn't have any additional... They're supposed to have, for rides of that nature, like an additional seatbelt, additional safety belt, and they didn't have one on that ride. Well, and he was also like 6'5 and 340 pounds. Like, he was huge. He was oh, a, he was? Yeah, he's like an elite football. He was like an elite football player. Oh, I thought he was slim. No, he was really big. And his dad said that that was the only ride that would let him on because of his size. 
So there's probably going to be something about that too. But he was, oh, yeah, he was very big. It wasn't the case that he was too small. It was that he was very, very big. Um, and, I mean, they just, yeah, it's just. So maybe the harness didn't fully latch on. Yeah, I don't know. They're going to have to, oh, like, look at the engineering that of that and all of that stuff. But, horrifying. Absolutely yeah. horrifying. And, yep. yeah, that theme park should be sued. The ride should be sued. Everybody involved in that should be. That's just, that's not acceptable whatsoever yeah. but anyway that's a kind of a side and they note. also like the other thing again this is a tangent but you know i don't like the fact that they have 16 year olds running the rides at these theme yeah. parks like i get that that's a great summer job for you but also like this is a thing that can kill me exactly so, like, maybe let's put somebody in there that has let's pay more and let's put somebody in there that like actually cares and is it just like pushing a button and telling people? Yeah, like, and making twelve dollars an hour to yeah. smoke cigarettes and pay attention to cute girls instead of the ride. Yeah, let's make safety worth caring about. Yeah, yeah, that's just devastating. Devastating. Yeah, I just my heart goes out to that family who lost that mm -hmm. poor young man with so much promise. He was an elite yep. player. Like he had a, yeah. a definite successful future ahead of him if he continued yeah. on the route that he was on. But. In any case, um, this particular case too, I thought was tragic and sad because had you know, Vester Flanagan received the mental health care that he so obviously needed, he could have gotten his life together and and perhaps done something different. Yeah, it's just very very there's, sad. There's so many like, there's so many stories of this, but there's so many points along the way in the story where like a, an intervention could have like. Not, not like an intervention where the people like sit you down and be like, you need to go to rehab. Not, I'm like, just some kind of intervention yeah. of a mental health professional could have helped. And it's just. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, yeah. it's a sad situation. And there are so many additional elements to it, like the issues of racism and the issues of, you know, sexual orientation, discrimination mm -hmm. for that, and a number of other and things. And all of those things, look, all of those things could be true. And it's not like I'm going to sit here and tell you that I think the EEOC gets every investigation right. No. Just because that was, like, found to be to have no merit doesn't mean that that was true and doesn't mean that they were discriminatory against him. Right. But the answer to that is never violence, what happened. Murder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that during that period of time, there was a definite tendency by a lot of these investigating boards to push things under the, the rug. Sure if they could, to make it go away um, and to kind of ease things and smooth them out in ways that would kind of work to try to shut people up. Right. And because those, I mean, the, like those like boards and organizations and things like that, they're not looking out for you. They're looking out for the business. Right. Like they want to protect the business. Right. So Liability-wise, you know. they definitely feel as though they have a duty to do that and not necessarily to protect the individual. But yeah. again... That's not an appropriate response. That's not never. It's not a good response in any way, shape, or form ever never. to a situation in that way. I yeah, and there was clearly were, more going on with him. Yeah, yeah, too. To sure. feel like he was inspired by Dylan Roof and just Harris and Dylan Klebold. Klebold, like, there's more than just feeling victimized. And the thing is, we'll never know because he's yeah. gone now. He didn't. You know, there's no secondary reporting on it there's no interview to get his side of the story there's just his right. suicide note which was seems as though it was rambling and and somewhat disconnected right so anyway um if you don't have anything else you want to add we'll go ahead and wrap the episode up for the evening nope i gotta say it's pretty clever on the part of allison parker's dad to try to do that nft i mean 
I know that's brilliant. Like, I wish that it, it did work. <laughs> right? it's real, like, I would have never even thought of that. It's very creative. I wonder who gave them yeah. on that idea. I wonder if he sought out a patent attorney or if he was just know. kind of researching Maybe he's on like his own. techie. I don't know, but he, like, did a lot of research and filed a lot of complaints against a lot of individuals to try to yeah. get that taken down. And I think it kind of brings up a larger point as well as far as what's allowed to be posted on those platforms. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, well, it's like a whole new avenue for legal precedent is because there's there's so little regulation. And right now we think that like that's the answer and like we need to self-regulate this, that, and the other. Yeah. And that's what like the companies want because they want to just be able to put whatever gets them the more ad clicks. But at the know, same time, I mean, I understand the whole element of the freedom of speech. You know, it's a constitutional right. But at the same time, if it's violence or death or mayhem, or something that's inciting violence further, I don't think it should yeah. be allowed to be posted. Yeah, you like freedom of speech doesn't give you the right to use Facebook however you want to use Facebook. Like the companies have to be liable in some kind of way. We I don't know what the answer is, but we got to figure that out. And yeah, well, the, the, that's a problem for a lot of people that are smarter than me. The fact that this is still out there and playing and being posted yeah. seems bonkers to me. Yeah. Why hasn't it been? permanently banned why are they not banning it can you think of any reason why they would not ban it? because there's not an actual shooting on the, the footage i honestly don't know enough about like internet privacy stuff to even attempt to guess so i'm gonna step out of that one i have no idea if you guys know write us and let us know because i don't have any idea it just seems like every copy of that should be yanked and the only way yeah. i can see that not happening is if maybe they're just continuing to repost it and it gets yanked and then they repost and then it gets and yanked that may and be repost. what's happening and it le and, and maybe by trying to do the nft thing her dad was like well i'm gonna put a financial punishment on it for every time somebody posts it yeah. but because he doesn't have ownership there's a lot of sick you know. people out there i mean and there's yes. numerous cases in the last decade or so where they've actually been post they live posted deaths and murders yeah. and there are people that will go out there and click on those because they want to see it yeah which is just horrifying. there's a morbid curiosity it's i mean it's it's definitely there i i understand the morbid curiosity but you're you, got, you also have to understand that you're perpetuating that behavior. Exactly. So. Anyway, if you would like to comment on the episode today or make some suggestions or even criticize, you could shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We're always open for comments, suggestions, whatnot. Uh, we also post pictures of our episodes on Instagram. Darcy, what's our handle? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Instagram, so not sure what you're going to post for this one. Well, probably be pictures of the victims and pictures yeah. of Vester Flan. I mean, he was a good-looking guy back yeah. in the day. I just, I feel like he had options. But in any case, please join us next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your